Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. I'd like to begin not with the words from Psalm 19 that I usually pray whenever I preach, but instead to use these words from Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar whose book of prayers, Awed to Heaven, Rooted in Earth, were written in conversation with scriptures and offered to students in several settings throughout his decades of service as a professor. This book has been a source of nourishment and encouragement to me in recent months. Please pray with me. Teach us how to weep while we wait, and how to hope while we weep, and how to care while we hope. Teach us through these strange, ancient, immediate texts. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait. And weeping certainly does not sound to me like an incentive for waiting. Yet how much of our lives must be given over to that practice, waiting for a light to change or a train to pass, wondering when someone will respond to a text or email, waiting on a job application, waiting for test results, waiting to conceive or adopt a child, waiting for love. And there are many days when weeping feels like the only plausible human response to the overwhelm of waiting. Waiting for a more just world, waiting for a world in which the flourishing of LGBTQ individuals and communities is a given and not a politically contested talking point. 
waiting for a world in which people of color can move freely and joyously without the persistent threats of violence white supremacy continues to inflict. Waiting for a world in which resources are used humbly, collaboratively, and creatively rather than avariciously and exploitatively. Waiting for a world in which women's bodies are not a battleground of conservative or liberal ideology. Waiting for a world when swords are turned into plowshares and all the nations of the earth will study war no more. So we pray to hope while we weep and to care while we hope and we ask to learn how to do these things, to pray, to hope, to wait, to weep, to care, not from some esoteric course of study or any supernatural acquisition of knowledge, but by hearing and reading and talking about scripture. I love that Brueggemann describes the Bible as these strange, ancient, immediate texts. Now, nobody is going to argue that Acts is a strange and ancient book, but what we claim as the church, the faith that we have is that this ancient text is also immediate. It has something urgent to say to each of us in 2022, nearly 2,000 years after it was written. Otherwise, we might as well all stay home on a Sunday morning, order in some brunch, and not have to get out of our pajamas. But we, as the church, the body of Christ, believe that what Paul and Silas and Peter and Lydia and all the apostles and disciples did, these are not simply historical actions. They are stories that tell us something about the God who is present with us now, who is closer to us than the Houston skyline. You and I are just as likely as Paul to get a curious vision of someone saying, come over to here and help us. The invitation might not be to Macedonia. It might be Buffalo or Ukraine or Haiti or Mexico. It might just be a part of Houston we're not all that familiar with. And so when we read and hear these scriptures prayerfully, we will be compelled to come to the same conclusion that the apostles did. Rather than dismissing Paul's vision as a delusion or fantasy, they say, we concluded that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. I love the communal nature of the response to Paul's vision. Paul doesn't experience or respond to this call alone. He is surrounded by witnesses who are praying for the health of the church, and as one body, they mobilize to move toward this plea for assistance. I also love that they don't ask for specifics. They're not asking this strange man in Macedonia for his five-year plan or an itemized list of needs so that they can consider them in a strategic fashion. The man says, come over here and help us, and they go over and help them. So they get to Philippi, and they spend several days there. And then there's this interesting detail. We went outside the city gate 
to the riverbank where we thought there might be a place for prayer. I wonder if you've ever felt like you had to leave the city to find a place for prayer. I hope that you'll always feel comfortable praying in this space, in this city, but just know if occasionally you need to get out to the Brazos River or the San Jacinto or the Neches to find a quiet place to pray, you'll be in a long line of apostolic succession. When you get there, you might discover the future of the church. Luke is an amazing storyteller, and so we get a lot of vivid and important information compressed into just a few verses. We learn that the other people who have had to leave the city to find a place to pray are women. And among these women is Lydia, who we are told is a dealer in purple cloth. You scholars of fashion will know that purple has long been the color associated with royalty. So that means that Lydia would have been very well-connected and probably wealthy herself. She was essentially the Hermes of her day. And Luke tells us that as the apostles visit and spend time with Lydia and these other women at the river, the Lord enabled them to embrace Paul's message. Theologian Willie James Jennings, in his commentary on this passage, writes that Lydia was in the space of listening Israel. And from that space, she hears the words embodied in these disciples. When we allow the scriptures to be not only ancient and strange, but immediate, we can hear the word made flesh embodied in one another. The Lord enables us to embrace the good news of a God who brings forth increase from the earth, who heals the nations, who brings life-giving waters to everyone, everywhere. This is a God whose house has many mansions, which is good news for people who feel there are few places to welcome them in the world. I give you not as the world gives, Jesus says, and we have seen too painfully and too often how the world gives and how the world takes. But every now and then, what Jesus gives is someone like Lydia, someone to say, come and stay in my house. Jennings writes that Lydia makes her home a site of the new intimacy of the Spirit. Again and again, we see in the passage from Acts movement away from an individual, from Paul and Lydia, to something collective and communal. We see these faithful individuals forming beloved community. They are moving away from what Jennings calls modern Christianity's diseased social imagination toward the original trajectory of intimacy. One of the things Jennings illustrates in his book, The Christian Imagination, Theology, and the Origins of Race, is the way this trajectory was disrupted by the power imbalances created through colonialism and imperialism. Too often, he laments, as the church moved into new spaces, it assumed the position of host 
imposing its ways and demanding conformity, what we can learn from Lydia and Paul is when to be hosts and when to be guests. And perhaps the most important quality in both of these roles, to be a host and to be a guest, is listening. Listening to the stories of others, the needs of others, the requests for help, and the offerings of hospitality. Such listening makes these ancient texts immediate, and it makes the Word of God a contemporary reality, a dynamic force not confined to canonical volumes, but flowing out from every creature and every direction of God's universe. In the opening pages of his book, Shouten in the Fire, an American Epistle, theologian Dante Stewart describes the way the King James Bible has been an immediate text in his life and the lives of his mother, grandmother, and the South Carolina community that formed them. To hear this language, Stewart writes, is to hear the voice of God upon us in a land that has never truly known God or love or blackness. Give us ears to hear, O Lord, that we may come truly to know you and the love you are and call us toward. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.